All right, welcome back to Teaching Beyond the Gradebook. This is season two, episode one. Season two, that sounds so cool to say. I know. Yes, it's a, it's a new year and um, we have a whole new lineup of episodes planned. And actually this first one is kind of exciting because this is our first listener requested episode. So we had um, a listener um, last season send us an email with an idea for an episode. And it's honestly one that I'm surprised hadn't, I, I, it had legitimately never crossed my mind to, to tackle this topic, but it's a really important one, and we felt it was really good to do at the beginning of a school year. Exactly. And for those of you joining us for the first time in season two, I'm Tony Reinhart. I teach middle school sixth grade. And I'm Tavis Dans, and I teach fifth grade. So um, we, there's no need to be secretive about our episodes anymore. We're, 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 today we're going to be talking about how to cultivate a cohesive grade level team. And we felt this appropriate to start the season with because at the beginning of the school year, there's often some movement, um, especially in this post-COVID time. Um, some people have transitioned to other careers. Um, and there's, you know, people have babies, people will take time off. And a lot of times we're with new teams, you know. It's always yeah. nice when we can keep the same team, but very often that's not the case. Yeah, and you know, the dynamics of a team can really make or break your school year. Um, oh yes. You know, a good team makes you feel like you can almost do anything as a teacher, and a bad team isn't the right word. I would say a challenging team can really make the school year that much harder. And we're, all, we're always talking about collaboration and teamwork for students, but you know, sometimes the strategies and the things that we hope our students are doing are not necessarily being modeled by us. Right. So the big question is how. How do we get to this, right? A, a good team that collaborates and works well together. And I really wish that this episode was going to be five strategies to change your team members so they're <laughs> better. <laughs> but that's just not what we're going to talk about today. Um, well, and, and it's because there's no there are no strategies for changing others. No. Right? Like, you, the, like the sooner you, that one can, like, come to terms with this, I think the, the more simplified life becomes. Absolutely. The only person, I tell my students this all the time, the only thing you have control of in this lifetime is yourself and how you respond to the situations that you are in and the people around you. Exactly. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We've got a few things to highlight really about like how can you become a better team member and not to say that you're not already a better or a good team member but how can you become better and like Tavis said if you choose to engage in these strategies you're going to be modeling what other team members can do as well but it has to start with you and it's so it's like the key to a successful or a fulfilling work environment I think like I've said mm -hmm. before that like I would much rather work at the most challenging school with the most you know difficult student population who are underperforming and you know you know low income uh, high poverty whatever it is if the people i worked with i felt you know supported by and yeah. like, that we had a good team i'd so much rather that than be at like the perfect school with just students that do everything they're supposed to and great behavior but does that school exist <laughs> the perfect school yeah <laughs> gosh I don't think it does. Right. It's like the Shangri-La of, of education. But to your point, like no matter how many resources on, are on your campus, if you don't have a strong team, then it, it makes the school your hard. So um, we kind of have fallen into this 
I don't know if tradition is the right word, but this 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 um, routine of often finding quotes that mm -hmm. sort of spark our interest or relate to whatever the episode topic is. So we, we did just that with this episode. And we thought we'd start with some quotes that kind of speak to what we're going to elaborate on. Totally. You want to share yours? Yeah. So um, one that I really love is by Albert Einstein. And he, he said, the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. And for someone like Albert Einstein to say that, it just makes me kind of stop and think, well, how much do I really not know? And um, it, it just brings a sense of like humility and it makes myself want to step back and think about like, where can I grow? It's a quote that reminds me that growth is even possible for someone like Albert Einstein. So it's definitely in reach for someone possible like for me. Us. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned humility and that's the first um like strategy or, or you know tool that we're we're gonna speak to and your quote it's so interesting we we always find these quotes independently and then when we share them it's it's kind of uncanny how related they are because mine has always been one of my favorite quotes and it's from the philosopher Bertrand Russell and um, it's he says the whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves but wiser people are so full of doubts. And again, it's made me go like, gosh, the times that I'm so certain, am I being a fool and a fanatic in that moment? Right. And when I meet people who are so certain, and then I think of people like, like you know, Albert Einstein is, is regarded as one of the wisest, you know, brilliant minds of all time. And for him to say, the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's living proof of that wiser people being full of doubts. He's saying, I don't know how much I know. And we pretty much all agree that he was pretty darn wise. Right. Well, and I mean, it also speaks to the fact that like he wasn't using his knowledge as a weapon or as something to hold over people, you know, which we've all met those people in any industry, like even if they do have a, a quite a bit of knowledge, when someone comes off very arrogantly, it's hard to hear their knowledge and it becomes very combative or very threatening. So well, and arrogance is kind of the opposite of humility, right? Exactly. How would you define humility? I mean, the, the ability to, like, listen, I think, is a huge part of humility because you can't be humble if you're always talking. Yeah, and, you know, especially if you're on a team where you perhaps are the veteran, you know, maybe you've got a few team members who are new to the profession or, or even new to the site, it's really easy to fall into this, this trap of, like, acting like you have all the answers, you know it, like you know the ropes, let me impart, impart yes. this wisdom. Right. But, you know, humility is, is, is understanding that everyone has something to offer, whether they're a first-year teacher or a 25-year teacher. And you know what? Often I found some of the most, like, innovative ideas come from first-year teachers because they are, they're in a fresh place, They've got this energy about them. And it's not to say that veteran teachers don't have that same energy, but it's like exactly like you said, there is something that everyone brings to the table. And when we as, as veteran teachers um, don't bring that humility to hear every single voice, we're doing our team, our school, and ourselves a huge disservice. And you can't ask someone else to be humble. 
You can't say, all right, we're going to make this team great, so make sure you're humble. You have to start first. It's, it's got to be you. Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, so many of these, I mean, you, you mentioned, Tani, that like, we, I wish that we could say, like, here's how you change the people you work with. That's just not possible, but what you can do is you can model what you hope to see from them. Um, and we've talked on this show many times about the power of modeling. Right. Oh, it's kind of, the, in some ways, it's kind of the secret sauce of teaching. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's, without modeling, teaching gets really hard. The students don't understand what your strategy is supposed to look like or the steps that are supposed to take place. And in a way, in the classroom, it's a lot easier because you are the expert in some ways, and you are saying you will try these steps. As an adult, you're having to, like, step into this place of, uh, of vulnerability and be willing to model the steps of humility with a chance that, the people watching you won't follow. But I don't actually find that when someone encounters humility, I often don't find that they um, are hostile towards it. It's hard to be hostile towards a, humil or a, humble, a humble person. person. Yes, that's very true. So humility is actually very much related to our next strategy, and perhaps even the next strategy is kind of an example of a way to show humility. Mm -hmm. And that's Listening to understand versus listening to respond. And I'm such a culprit of this um, because I tend to really think quickly and my mind is so active. When people are start, you know, sharing something with me, my mind is constantly processing, okay, how am I going to respond to this? What do, what do I want to build on what? And often what I find is that it prevents me from really understanding where they're coming from. And that can lead to misunderstanding. Right. And misunderstanding leads to like aggravated feelings and resentment and people want to be heard. And I think listening is, is a lost art in our society. And by default, it can often be a lost art within the workplace. And you can't be on a team and not be willing to hear others' ideas. And by the way, this is a great strategy for all areas of life. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, particularly like marriages and things like that. Like there's times where you know, my wife will be saying something to me and I'll, and I'll say, okay, hold up. You know, would you like me to listen to understand right now or listen to respond? Because sometimes people are truly seeking a response. Right. What do you think about this? Do you have any ideas? But a lot of times when they're just looking for someone to like hear them out. And when the response is one of like, oh, well, let me tell you what to do or like that can feel like you're not being heard. Right. But even there, like Tavis, you're, you're still... In a way, you're listening, you're hearing them, and you're understanding, and you're going straight to solutions. And so you're talking about listening with empathy, and that's really important mm. too. Because there's also this other flip side of listening, but you already have your response ready. Yes, and you're just you know? waiting. You're, like, yep. I've been that too. I'm like, I got it. I'm just waiting for <laughs> waiting for a, a gap to play. And now I'm going to play that card. There you go. Right. How are you going to respond to that? And uh, sometimes it may or may not fully relate to what they've actually said because you didn't take the time to understand what they were trying to express. So what are some examples of uh, situations with your grade level team that you could imagine? Not, not necessarily specific examples, but just like concrete situations that one might be in with where their grade, grade level team where listening to understand might be important. Yeah, um, I mean, so on sixth grade, my team, we teach social studies um, all together and, and this class called Design Together. And so we have to come up with like these lesson plans that match because our classes have to stay together. And so sometimes it's a, 
it's a huge negotiation of where which lesson goes. And we all have ideas and reasons why. Um, you know, we think a lesson should go somewhere. And what I found the most important in those, those moments is to, like, squash my frustration over and over and over. You mean when, when you're... When they when they your team doesn't necessarily agree with where you think it should go. Yeah, exactly. Or like all three of us are kind of in different places, ah, yeah. and it's either like in that moment I can kind of clam up or even like lash out um, and just kind of make these snippy comments, or I can start asking questions to understand. And I found that's a huge strategy for me, and it helps me listen because if they're not willing or even really aware of the fact that I'm not understanding them, I've got a strategy, I can ask a question. And it's not a question to prove my point, it truly is a question to understand where they're coming from. It's like, I gotta put my position on the back burner for a second. And have you ever found that uh, from going through that process, you realize, oh. They had a better idea. They had a better idea. (laughs) Yes, over and over and over. Um, and I'm just, I'm so incredibly grateful for the two women on my team, um, the three of us. It's not like our personalities are not identical and we all are very different kind of people. But what we've learned to do with each other is listen to understand without being mad at each other about it. And I just love hearing you say that because it almost like it, it normalizes like, changing your mind or rethinking or, or, or realizing that maybe you, you hadn't considered something. Yep. Because, again, modeling, you can't change others, but for every time that you show them, oh, you know what? Gosh, you're right. I was pretty darn certain. I was pretty certain of myself. <laughs> yes. And from now having listened for the purposes of understanding rather than for the purposes of convincing, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's funny. This goes back to, this, jumping back to our Socratic seminar episode. Um, start of the school year, I decided we're doing, I, I did get to Socratic seminar last year, but I thought what a great way to start the school year. And like fifth graders, that's, that's, you know, usually you don't get Socratic seminar until high school. Um, and so I was very transparent with them. I was like, look, this is not, this is an older kid thing, but of course they thought that was really cool. And I, one of the ways that we talked about who Socrates was and, and whatnot. And I said, you know, one of the things that really makes Socratic seminar different from a debate, cause it's not a debate is because in a debate you're listening to respond. Yes. You are trying to convince someone of your point. And there's a time and a place for a debate. But a Socratic seminar is about understanding other viewpoints. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to change your own. But just for a moment, tabling your ego and going, hmm, let me consider another point of view. And just seeing if anything comes of it. Right. And so it's very much related. Absolutely, because if every meeting that we had with our grade level teams was a debate, we would A, never get anything done, and B, we wouldn't like each other. And then like that becomes a super toxic environment. And in a debate, when the, the purpose of speaking is debating, you are never going to change your viewpoint in the middle of that of that interaction. You come with pre-populated mm-hmm. responses and reasons and research. And right, like you've you, done work ahead of time. Exactly. And you tried to think through rebuttals to all of the things that they could possibly say. Exactly. It's like you're not open for a possibility that something could change. Right. So really listening to understand, it's what fosters true collaboration. It's the reason my team gets anything done. <laughs> and, and which is the point of being on a team, right? Like I'm not on a team to fight them about my way. 
I'm on a team to have help. It's called a team for a reason. Yes, exactly. And, and it really takes the weight off of you to come up with all the good ideas. And it's okay if you have a lot of the ideas. But if you are like Tavis and I, who tend to be a little dominant on the team, <laughs> like, like definitely practice this this year. Try listening to understand. And like you'll, you'll come to value some of the voices that often – um, disagree with you. Like one of my coworkers, she and I think very differently, but I have come to value her because she's always thinking of things I'm missing and vice versa. I'm always thinking of things that she's missing. And like to get it, it's either I could be a like, well, who's going to be the alpha female, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Or it could be together. We're the bomb. <laughs> and like, that's where it's become. I know what you mean. I've got colleagues like that too, who like, you know, I, the thing I appreciate most about them is that they are constantly bringing up things that I haven't considered. But the reason that I see that as a good thing and something that I value is because I'm, I'm, I, I, I'd like to think I'm operating from a place of humility and that I recognize that I don't know everything and that mm -hmm. it's those times that I think I know everything that I'm probably most in need to be checked by <laughs> someone else. Right, right. And just kind of one more thing to wrap up this idea of listening to understand. Listening is a form of caring. It's a form of showing someone else that um, they, they matter to you, that they are of value. And so it's a pretty profound gift to give to someone to, to listen to what they're saying. And it paves the way for our next strategy, which as I'm looking at our little bulleted list that we sort of planned this episode out with, I'm realizing that these are all kind of like you know, we're looking at the same thing. We just keep kind of changing angles. Mm -hmm. These aren't like separate things. They're right. all kind of the same thing. We're just looking at them from different angles. And that is listening to understand versus listening to respond. It builds trust. Absolutely. Wow. Trust is so important uh, to have a, a functioning, positive, cohesive grade level team. It's imperative mm -hmm. that each trust the others. And Tavis, you've been on your team for quite a few years now. Um, yeah. Longer than I have with my team. So, like, you know, I talked a little bit about how we listen, but you guys work so cohesively. Like, talk about the trust that's already there in your team. That, that it didn't just show up. You guys worked for it. Yeah, we worked for it. And, you know, it's funny. When, when, this, when, when, when you know, we had a listener email about, like, hey – I'd love to know how it was actually someone who we know professionally. And she said, Hey, you know, you, you're both part of really, you know, cohesive teams. Like, how do you do it? I was like, I, I, I went to Utah and I was like, so this is a great idea for an episode, but I don't know like <laughs> what I've never broken it apart. Like, right. So how do, do, how does one build trust? I mean, I think some of the things we've covered already, you know, modeling the humility and the listening under, to understand, checking your ego, mm -hmm. um, that builds trust because it makes others feel safe to do the same. Um, but a really simple one that I think some people do naturally, um, in some cases it's very easy to do and it just organically happens, but in other cases if it hasn't organically happened, it takes a little bit of effort. And that's to like establish a relationship with your team members that goes beyond just the professional world. Mm, yes. Like, you know, I'm not saying you have to be their best friend, but like hang out once or twice. Like go, I'm a huge fan of like the happy hour. Yes. I mean, it's called a happy hour for a reason. And educators more than anyone know how like sometimes at the end of the day, you just need to kind of like 
decompress over a, an adult beverage of your choice or right. a, a soft beverage of your choice. <laughs> yes. But like, invite them over. Like, you know, they might not even say yes, but just the very act of extending an invitation and saying, I care enough about you that I would like to spend some non-work related time talking with you. That, that goes a long way. Exactly. And like, you know, I love that you mentioned, Tavis, that you don't have to be their best friend. Like having a good working relationship doesn't mean like starting to add all of these friendships that you may not have time to maintain. Um, and, and I I love like the idea of going out and hanging out with your coworkers. And that's not always super possible. I want to just acknowledge that as well. We all have crazy lives. If you can do it, it will be incredibly impactful. But there's also other smaller ways to do that. Like, all you got to do is ask about their weekend and then listen to understand. Like, seriously, don't ask for, I mean, you know, the, hey, how you doing has yeah. become, has come to mean nothing in today's society because, right. it, you know, most of the time when we ask that, we're not prepared for any response other than, ah, I'm fine. Right. Like, if someone's like, actually, I'm not doing too well. Like, you're like, oh, gosh, do I have time for this? Right. <laughs> well, it's like, then why did you ask? Mm-hmm. So be prepared to, like, invest a little time you know, getting to know about their life outside of school. Absolutely. The same way you would do with a student. You know, like, yeah, these are it's, a it's lot not of rocket strategies. science. Yeah, like, how do you build trust with a student? Oh, okay, well, you learn a little something about them. You let you, them know that you care about them. You model vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Like, you follow through. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. Exactly. You will hold them accountable. Like, you know, just treat it like that. I mean, if, if you really can't put aside the whole, like, well, I'm the veteran teacher and there's a new person on my team. Tr- like, how would you treat that person as a student in your class if you wanted to build a relationship right. for them? We never say, well, that's a new student. I'm not, not going to get to know them, right? So why would we ever do that to a colleague? Exactly. <laughs> and also, like, on the flip side, if they, you know, give a quick response of, like, oh, my weekend was great. Dig. Dig a little. Like, oh, really? What made it great? Just those, like, follow-up questions. And if they aren't willing to go there because you can't control them, they may not. Exactly. What you can control is you can share something about your weekend. Exactly. You can say, oh, like, just, I love it when it comes out of nowhere, where it's like, you know, I've, I've had this situation before where I'm like, oh, man, I just cannot crack, crack through this person. It'll be like, do you have any experience with, you know, I don't know, this financial institution like we're thinking of refinancing and like you know like it seemed like but i'm a little skeptical of like something as seemingly benign as that just goes hey guess what i'm gonna let you in yeah i'm gonna let you in and 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 it models for them that that it's okay and that you're you're willing that you trust them enough to hear their advice yeah Yeah. and to 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 peel back your own curtain a little bit and let Mm -hmm. them get a glimpse at like who you are outside of and I love like that exact example because it no, also, I was like, I was no, like, it's what, great. What's this example? The financial financial institution. Yeah. Uh, but it also brings in humility because you're asking for help. Yes. You're, you know, you're saying like, hey, I kind of need you right now in a non-professional way. I need you as a friend. And like when people feel needed, they feel cared about and important and like you're a value to them. I feel like. Or that they're a value to you. We're channeling Brené Brown right now. Oh, God. I mean, for for those of you who have not, I mean, I think most people have heard of Brené Brown. If not, I will just let you enjoy the the journey. Like, just go on YouTube. Yep. Yeah, there's a few TED Talks. But, you know, um, asking for help is 
unfortunately has been kind of mislabeled as a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. But it's the exact opposite. It is such a sign of strength that you can admit, I am not capable of doing this myself. I need someone else to jump in here. Right. It's so much easier to pretend that you got it all figured out. And this goes back to my quote. You know, I think the reason that the fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves is because they can't admit otherwise. It's so much easier to just double down and be like, no, no, no I got it, I got it, I got mm-hmm. it. And so asking for help, especially if you are the veteran. Oh, it's you, huge. Oh, my it's gosh. It's huge. I mean, and then, yeah, and you go to your less experienced colleague and say, hey, I've got this issue with a student. Do you have any ideas? Like, what better sign of trust, like, I value you, is mm-hmm. there than that? We're on the same level. I need your help. I need your expertise that you bring to the, to the table as well. It just creates a sense of equality, you know, and, and that there's not this hierarchy between you and your colleague. And, like, years of experience aren't what dictate the way you treat each other. Um, and also, it, it paves the way for all the other things that we were talking about. Like, asking for help um, begets humility and, like, like begs uh, listening to understand. Again, we're, we're talking about the same thing, <laughs> yes. just from different angles. Exactly. So, you know, this one might be, I'm sure it's related in some way, but, but I, I think it's important. And, and it's, it, 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 I actually, it is related because it does require a, a good deal of trust. And that's to delegate. Yep. Um, to divide and conquer. I'm telling you, this is what got me through the COVID year of distance learning. Mm-hmm. Is that on my, I mean, you know, in my situation, I'm, I'm on a grade level, team. we teach elementary. So we each teach fifth grade and we each have a self-contained class, but we would divide and conquer. And when we, for, for one, we plan together. We do the same things. But if we need to create something, it's like, all right, you work on that math thing that we were talking about. You create the rubric for this. I'm going to put together the slide presentation for the science thing or, or you know, like, and it, again, it takes trust to do that. Yes, it does. And the control freak, which I, I've got a streak of control freak in me, wants to just do it all themselves. But remember, it takes strength to admit you can't do it all. Exactly. And I think that we all learned this last year. Mm-hmm. Like we were being asked to do more than we possibly could. Right. And, and like a lot of our collaborative um, elements of our job were kind of taken away from us because of the social distancing and the need to isolate. Um, but, you know, now that this, this school year is, is going back to somewhat normal, like make delegation part of your team. Um, because, and to your point, Tavis, like I'm the same way. I'm, I'm a type A teacher. Like I know the way I want it done, even down to the, like, oh, this font would be really great for my presentation. <laughs> like this is super fun or whatever. Like, f- don't die on the hills that you don't need to die on. Let it go. Let someone else's vision take front stage and, and use it and value it and value their work in front of your students. Like, that will build trust as well when you take what they've poured into and instead of critiquing it, and it's not to say you can't correct things that need correcting, right? Like, if there are spelling errors or, or there's right. gaps in it, like, you can talk about that. But otherwise, value what they bring to the table by allowing them to take something on without you micromanaging it. So it's, it's interesting because you mentioned, you know, I've been on the same team for a while. Um, 
for a while I was there was just two of us on the team and we were both you know had been teaching for about the same time and so it, it was kind of like that we had equal you know professional experience to draw upon and then um, you know we had to add a third class to the fifth grade team and so we brought on a third and you know we often the team doesn't have any say in that you're just told like you know oh, here's who we hired and so a new teacher came to our team and to compound the issue I was asked to be this teacher's induction mentor for their, their induction program to clear their credential, which was great because when you have your mentor or your mentee on your team, it really makes it easier because you got to meet a lot. And so I felt this added, I don't know if pressure is the right word, but you know, it goes back to the modeling. It's like, you know, I'm trying to prepare this person to be the type of teacher that I hope they, you know, that I hope they end up as, but it requires me doing the things that I want them to do. Right. And so I went through a period of time with him where I was like, all right, I'm just going to say yes to whatever idea he has. And knowing that he's on my team and I will have to then kind of execute it in my own way, whether I think it's a great idea or not. And, you know, it's it goes back to the quote of the fools of fanatics and stuff. Like, <laughs> I was constantly like, wow, that really worked. I would have never thought of that. And in fact, when you initially told me, I kind of scoffed at it for this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. And there may have been things that could have been improved upon. Like, you're always improving. But just operating from a place of, like, I'm just going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. Wow. I, mean, I mean, this is what the world of improv theater is built upon this idea. <laughs> yes. Is that, like, the reason, like, good improv performers, they say yes to whatever situation is pre presented to them. Yeah, they, they can't really say no up on that stage. Well, Otherwise... they, they can, but then it's not funny. I mean, there's that famous <laughs> right. Office episode. Do you remember that? Where, like, where, like, Michael uh, takes an improv <laughs> class and he just keeps squashing all of the ideas that come up in the moment and nothing funny happens because he's trying to steamroll the whole thing. Yeah. Which is like, what would happen between two teachers when one steamrolls the other? Yeah, hey, I got this idea. Nope, I don't like that idea. Nope. Okay, how about this idea? Nope, how about this? Okay, what about this one? Nope. Like you, like you said, you're not going to ever get anywhere. Exactly. And you know who's going to suffer? You're going to suffer. The students are going to suffer. Pretty much everyone's going to suffer. No one, right. no one wins. Right. No one wins. Well, so it's, it's interesting. Our team right now, like yours, we delegate a lot of stuff like that as well. Um, but what I actually want to highlight is, is the one year I had to step out of middle school and teach fourth grade. Oh, and <laughs> oh God. <laughs> See, I knew you first as a fourth grade teacher than a middle yeah. school teacher. Yeah. And I was terrified that year, despite my years of experience as an educator, I felt like I was walking in as like the newbie on the team. Cause I had these two other fabulous elementary school teachers who like, they just had their routines locked in place. And so I felt like the, the weakest link. Um, and you know, the thing that I loved about those two is they heard my ideas often and they valued them. And that gave me more confidence in what I was doing in fourth grade. But the really cool relationship um, that kind of formed there was with one of the teachers I shared a door with. And she, her jam is math. She's just such a phenomenal math teacher. And then for me, it's language arts. That's just where I shine. And we kind of like created this system where it was like I would plan out language arts and she would plan out math and we would blindly trust each other. Mm -hmm. And it became this beautiful thing that um, even the kids picked up on. And we would like value and like verbally praise the other 
in front of our students. Like, I got this idea. Hey, yep. I'm not taking any credit for yep. this. I got credit for Yeah. And then it got really, really fun when, like, let's say I was teaching a math lesson and I would get stuck on something, which is kind of embarrassing to say when I'm teaching fourth grade math. But if you would no, know. No, that's crucial. Mistakes are so important uh, to model. Right. Also, there's like 12,000 ways to, to do long division if you didn't know that. Um, I didn't really know that until I taught fourth grade. But like I would get stuck and I'd be like, guys, anybody got anything? And my students would be like, no. I'd be like, hold on. I'm going to go get Mrs. So-and-so. And I would pull her into our classroom and we'd be like. Because we shared a door. We yeah. shared a door and like she would leave it open. So her kids were listening to me ask for help and they got to see her offer the help. And she would walk like 60 of us through this math problem. And then like the same thing happened. If she got stuck in like language arts on something, she would call me over. And it became this awesome place of learning where like questions were valued. Um, you know, it was okay to not know something. But that came down to first starting to delegate like oh that's your strength this is my strength and our third team member too like she just didn't share a door with us right. so it, it, I'm in that situation too I want yeah. to share a door with and it's so much easier but even when we got into our staff or our little collaboration team meetings, meetings yeah you know that's that delegation still happened between the three of us and so yeah, that's where I like really learned to value it and I've like pulled that into my middle school team and it's it's the only thing that makes our, or it, it's the, the backbone that makes our team work. Well, before we move on to the final one, uh, you just mentioned something that's, it's, it's just so crucial in order to make delegation possible um, or really leverage it, is that you've got to have really clear understanding of everyone's strengths. Yes. So that you know how to properly, dele properly delegate. I mean, I could tell you on my team, like, I know the type of things that, and they do too. We are all in in complete chorus when it comes to like, oh, that's a that's a Tavis thing. This is better for this person to do. This is better for this person to, because each of us are so in tune with our strengths and the areas that we're not as strong that we can rely on someone else for help. Absolutely. So there's you know different ways to do that. I mean, there's you know there's like little professional inventories you can take online where you can like. You know, like quizzes and stuff. There's mm -hmm. the whole, um, I don't know what it's called. I'm sure that our listeners do. The whole north, south, east, west thing. Like, oh, I'm a north. Or I'm a, have you ever heard of that? No. Oh, it's another kind of thing. You can answer questions and yeah. it's like, you know, I'm a north type. And north okay. types are sort of like, you know, big ideas. And, you know, whereas like the south types are like, you know, the details. And I may have completely gotten the cardinal directions wrong. <laughs> but, you know, some form of, you know, taking stock of, what are what are you good at? So that mm -hmm. you can either sort of organically discover that, or you can sit down in the great in the beginning time of the year, the, the first uh, few weeks of the year is a great time to do that. Of just yeah. like, all right, what is it that you think you can bring here? What do you, what can you bring? And, and what what can I bring? And where 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 do I think where am I insecure? Right. And does someone else on the team feel as though they can help me in that area? Oh, and you know, that's a really great point. Like, I, I like that you said you can discover it organically. And if you are meeting with humility and listening and understand, you will, you will organically discover it. But the cool thing about taking one of those those personality tests, like mm -hmm. the Myers-Briggs. I go to Myers-Briggs yeah, a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's going to tell you what you're not good at, yeah. you know? And so that's, that's a place where you can... Um, you know, you can start to reflect, which is our next um, our next point that we're going to get into right now. Reflection, and it's it's not it's not limited to teachers. This is like oh. a, this is this is the the key to growth 
in any realm is you gotta you gotta stop and you gotta look back and go, what did I learn from all that? Yep. So you you shared something with me that just blew my mind recently, and I don't know how I had never ever heard of this <laughs> concept, but when you shared it with me, I was like, what? And, and quite frankly. The quote that I share, the Bertrand Russell, Russell quote, and even the Albert Einstein quote, are like examples of this, you know, just in quote form. Right. So why don't you tell right. us what that is? So, and by the way, I, I definitely can't take credit for this idea at all. Someone else shared it with me, another educator, I think, if I remember correctly. But it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And I highly recommend that you like get lost in a, a dark black rabbit hole on YouTube with this because there's so much cool information about it. I think that's what happened to Tavis. He fell into YouTube. I did. I just started <laughs> reading and watching and I was just like, this, this is making so much sense. Like this is like all of these things are falling into place. <laughs> yeah. So the Dunning-Kruger effect is basically this phenomenon that um, these two researchers found that oftentimes people overestimate their level of expertise and like grossly so. Um, and what they found was that the more knowledge someone had, the less um, likely they were to overestimate their ability. Um, and the less knowledge someone had, the more certain they would be in their expertise. Fools which, and fanatics. Ex exactly, fools and fanatics. Albert Einstein admitting that he doesn't really know much. Um, and so like when I shared this with Tavis, I'm like, oh, we should bring up the Dunning-Kruger effect. And he went and got lost in a, a, an awesome research hole. Um, we just found how applicable this idea was because, you know, as you reflect, again, you can't make other people reflect. Like Tavis mentioned, you only have control over what you can do. But if you're not willing to reflect on the places that you are maybe weak or need to grow, because I'm going to tell you right now, everybody has them. I have them. Tavis has them. Every single Albert human. Einstein has them. <laughs> Albert or Einstein. Or had them. And so it's like that, I would even say that's probably a great first place to start. And if you mm, are... To start with reflection? Yeah, mm. start with reflection. And if you're constantly thinking about the way your teammates need to change and you're not willing to start with way, where you need to change, I will say this with all the love in my heart, you're probably a big part of the problem. Is that too bold to say? No. Sometimes, sometimes truths are hard to, to yeah. hear. And I feel like I've been in that. Maybe not as pro not professionally as much, but there have definitely been in my areas, areas of my life where I'm so focused on what others need to change that I've, I've lost sight of, of what I can, the only thing I can control. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the thing about the Dunning-Kruger effect that blew my mind most was that, like, the, like, it was the fact that the those with the least ability <laughs> were the ones who were most likely to overrate their skills. Yes. That it was, you know, it, it was, it correlated to, you know, and, and those who were the, the most expert, like, they, they didn't realize how unusual they are for having all of this knowledge. Mm -hmm. And they just naturally operate from a place of inquisitiveness and discovery. And therefore, they understated their, they were like, I don't know how great I actually am. I mean, like Albert Einstein saying, like, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know how much I don't know. Like, mm -hmm. what wisdom is there? And come on. So much wisdom. And, so, and, and if you can really make this a backbone of who you are as a teacher, not just a colleague, 
but a teacher as well, even in the classroom. Like your relationships with everybody you you come into contact with, they will blossom because to be aware of your weaknesses is operating from a place of humility and like not to, to beat a dead horse, but like it opens the gateway to every single strategy we've talked about today. Yeah. And so reflection is, it's gotta be a part of being a good team member. Um, you know, and there have been times even like, well, this year we're, we're only three days in, so I haven't had to say I'm sorry yet. But last year, there were plenty of times where, like, you know, some of our, our collaborations, like, I kind of dug my heels in and someone else dug their heels in. And, and we, we came to a, an agreement and, like, academically and, and, like, professionally everything worked out. And then we went our separate ways. And then I just, like, I would go back over to one of my colleagues' classrooms and I, and I was just like, hey, man, like, or woman, female, whatever. <laughs> hey, colleague of mine. Um, hey, lady. Hey, lady. <laughs> uh, like, and it's just a moment of like, I'm really sorry if like I sounded like I was overzealous with that. I was super excited about it, but I really appreciated what you said. And it's modeling vulnerability. Exactly. But I couldn't have gotten there if I hadn't reflected on the tone that I used in that And did moment. they ever say, hey, and you know what? I probably could have also. Every single time. Yes. Every single time it happened. Like, and because it starts with you. you there's only, you're mm-hmm. the only person that you can control. Yeah. And, and just to like, you know, give kudos to my team members. Like they've done that over and over as well too. Um, and like consequently, a lot of our meetings now – end really well because we've practiced hearing each other. We've practiced respecting each other's voices and then saying, I'm sorry if we need to. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, apologizing is another lost art in our society that you, Mm. if you are not. Because we think it's a sign of weakness. Exactly. You know, it's like the sign, asking for help is a sign of weakness. It is not a sign of weakness. It takes so much strength to apologize, which is why it's so hard to do. Right. Right. Like, and we could do a whole nother episode on like what is a real apology versus like, I'm sorry, but, and then you go on forever and excuse everything you actually did, which isn't a real apology. Um, so, uh, but that'll be for another time. So to but- recap, the things that you have control of, the only things that you have control of when it comes to being on a team and, you know, you can't control the, te- the people you work with or their types, humility. Listening to understand versus listening to respond. Building trust, you know, like hanging out or just sharing things about your own life that aren't professional. Mm-hmm. Delegate, know each other's strengths and give each other room to, to bring those strengths. And reflect. And there's, you know, there was a great proverb that you found that I think would be a nice way to close, close the episode out. Yeah. What is that? When arguing with a fool, first make sure the other person isn't doing the same thing. Oh, I love it. Again, that's just the Dunning-Kruger effect in mm-hmm. fancy, fancy language. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, we um, hope that everyone has a fantastic um, school year on whatever team you are on. And hopefully some of these strategies can be used to just kind of, you know, level up the type of relationship you have with your colleagues. Because honestly, it makes work a lot more fun too. Oh, it really does. Oh my gosh. Like I love what I do. I love who I work with. And the, the kids benefit. They feel oh, it. Oh, yes. And, and I'm con- we're constantly getting feedback from parents about like, oh my gosh, your team seems so great. You have such great synergy. 
we had back to school night last night and our team presented and a parent said that they were like, we love your synergy. Do you know what that, do you know what that word means? I mean, I, I have an idea, like the way you work together, that like I your know, energy but, mixed together. But the actual definition no, is but I know so that beautiful. <laughs> synergy is when the sum of all the component parts equals more than the sum the of the individuals. individuals. So like yes. two plus two plus two equaling 10, when really it should equal six. Oh. It's like, where does that extra four come from? But like, I feel like that what we've talked about will yeah. lead to that extra four. Yes, the power of a good working team. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really awesome. So, And we know we're not the only like well-oiled teams out there. So if you, at the end of this episode, you have other strategies that your team uses, please email Tavis and I at tawny at teachingbeyondthegradebook.com or Tavis at teachingbeyondthegradebook.com or if any, anything resonated with you during this episode. Or if you've got another ideas for episodes because yep. like, this was like such a fun episode to like talk about and plan. We got the idea before the summer and we got to just sort of like casually mull it over for yeah. the summer whereas usually we're like cramming in these like <laughs> little like planning sessions amidst all the other school year stuff. So... Um, yeah, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. And um, please join us again for another episode of Teaching Beyond the Gradebook.